Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. listening to the Hunter Conservationist Podcast. Rod Giltaka, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So you're the Chief Executive Officer and the Executive Director of the Canadian Coalition for Firearm Rights. Uh, so far, yeah. So far, hanging on to that. You have, you and your team are a hard-working group of people uh, standing up for firearms owners in this country. And uh, before we go anywhere, I just want to thank you on behalf of all, all hunters, all firearm owners and stuff. Uh, gosh, I just, I, I see something from you every single day where you're on uh, the airwaves doing your job. Um, so it's actually kind of cool that you're at home and we're kind of kicking back and have this bit of a conversation, but it still worked for you. I appreciate that. I appreciate it. Yeah. We're trying. We're trying everything. Well, um, that's all you can do, eh? You know, put up the put up the best fight possible and and um yeah, we'll see at the end of the show what you think you're uh what we're gaining on and what, what we're worried about. But uh uh, you know, we try to on this podcast and on some of the other podcasts we've done, we've always tried to keep uh hunters in Canada up to date on what's going on with the gun control debate. Uh, so that they're as educated as, as uh, possible. And when there's call to actions, uh, we try to get, you know, the hunters involved in that and rallying to support the work that you're doing. So this is an opportunity, I think, to um, get everybody uh, up to speed. Not that everybody's a hunter that follow us. Uh, some hunter, some are non-hunters. Uh, so I think it's, it's, it's a good cross section, but definitely got a lot of hunters following us. And, and I think it's important that, uh, everybody knows the state of the debate where everything's at. So that's the goal here. And Rod's going to give us some updates on, uh, the state of the gun control debate in Canada. Hey everybody. It's Mark Hall, your host. And it's Curtis Hall, your co-host. The Hunter Conservationist Podcast is brought to you by J. Martin Taxidermy, based out of Kelowna, BC. J. Martin Taxidermy is a small family-run operation that specializes in preserving your hunting memories. I know Christmas is coming up real fast. If you're scrambling, trying to find some sort of last-minute thing, maybe you got a kid, got his first mule deer buck this year, or you got a, your dad's got a 
whitetail buck that's been in the freezer for years and years, or I don't know, maybe you got a cool fox that you got somewhere from the trap line and you want to get something mounted up, go have a look at Jesse's stuff and maybe send him a message because mounts are pretty cool. I know if you don't have any, it's a, it's a cool way to look back on the hunts and the memories that go with the hunts. And, and it's a great conversation piece. A couple episodes ago, I said, I've had lots of times where I've had non hunters over and they just want to ask questions about hunting and it kind of gets them engaged. They've never been that close to a wild animal and they get to actually like go up and look and, you know, don't feel it. Don't feel other people's mounts. Cause you'll <laughs> greasy fingers all over them, but it's cool. It's a, it's a, it's a cool way to open up a really cool conversation with hunters and non-hunters. So maybe consider getting yourself a nice mount from J Martin taxidermy. So thanks, Jesse. We appreciate the support. Cool. Yep. Thanks, J Martin. Um, obviously an important part of being able to have, you know, a mount on the wall is, to be able to have something to get it with, uh, you know, trap trapping has its issues. Uh, people, there are quite a few bow hunters in this country, but the majority are, uh, firearm, uh, hunters, shotguns and rifles. And, and I, you know, basically kind of say to folks that the future of hunting in Canada depends on three things that we have abundant, healthy wildlife populations that we have social license and acceptance for who we are and what we do. And we have the right to own a firearm. You take any one of those three things away and there will not be hunting uh, in this country. So that's what this show is about. How about you kick us off, Rod, with the, the court case uh, and, and fill people in where it came about, what it was about, and then what, what the judge came out with and what you think that means for firearms and property owners in this country. Well, as the story goes, I'm sure most people out there are aware, but as the story goes back uh, on May the 1st, 2020, after the, uh, horrific shooting in Nova Scotia. Uh, the Liberal government rolled out a, uh, a firearms ban on 1,550 models of firearms. And then they must have had some kind of interaction with the, um, with the, uh, the RCMP Canadian Firearms Laboratory because they continued to ban another somewhere around 700 models of firearms, which at, I guess if you went through everything would equate to, I don't know, somewhere around 250 to 500,000 actual guns. Uh, in the country that were affected by this instant ban. And, you know, you could keep the guns, you know, and we still have them here more than three and a half years later. You just couldn't shoot them. So for for big, scary guns like AR-15s and other uh, types of firearms like that, or or I guess the Mossberg uh, 715T, a 22 that looks like an AR-15, too dangerous to use, couldn't take them to the range, and we'd have to sit on these guns. And the government said, well, we're going to roll out a buyback and we're going to we're going to buy them all back from you. Um, but we looked at the situation and we went, well, the, the thing about gun bans is I'm, you know, long before my time back in the 90s, there was a series of gun bans and a lot of guns got banned. Uh, a lot of guns got, uh, people were forced to register them. A lot of uh, classifications 
of these firearms went from non-restricted to prohibited. Um, there was a lot of monkey business back in the past, and the Liberal government decided to uh, to swing for the fences on this one. So um, we decided to sue the government, but not only just sue the government uh, for the gun ban itself, but we wanted a, a couple of constitutional questions asked of the courts once and for all. And you know, I don't want to I don't want to make this too long a story or too complicated, but basically when when you have gun owners, let's say the older gun owners that, you know, were gun owners long before I was um, saying, well, you know, we have these rights and the Magna Carta and the Constitution and property rights and the charter and all these things. And, and guys keep waving these things around saying, you know, but it's against the charter and this and that. It's like, well, let's answer these questions once and for all. There's a big gun ban. Let's find out whether Canadians have property rights at all. Important. Let's find out whether the government had the authority, the administrative authority to ban those guns, which we maintain that they didn't because the criminal code says the government can't ban guns that are appropriate for hunting or sporting use. And all of the guns that they banned were appropriate for both of those things and had been used for 30 years. So there, there's a big administrative law question there. And we also want to know um, whether or not the court recognizes your ability to defend yourself with a firearm. And so, and then there were some lesser questions. So the reason why we wanted to tackle these things is because sometimes you have people suing the government and that results in case precedent. Um, and maybe it was like a, a single lawyer, you know, a lawyer that's a criminal defense lawyer trying to fight an administrative law case or a, or a, a charter challenge. Or maybe it was, you know, so it was like, OK, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it big. We're going to hire a team of constitutionally experienced lawyers, like the best lawyers money can buy. And we did that. And we spent about $2.4 million fighting this case to make sure that we had an, a definitive answer to these questions. And we're never going to have anyone go, yeah, but the CCFR used that guy and he didn't have any experience or, oh, they didn't do it right or whatever. We did it right all the way. We promised we would do it and we did it. And we came up with the money <laughs> and we paid a lot of money to have this, have this case, you know, ran the way it was supposed to be ran. And the judge, the federal judge, uh, Judge uh, Justice Kane, she ruled against us and all of the parties that were suing on every single count. And so basically, usually a decision like this would be hundreds of pages long because there's a lot of law that goes behind it. Like, you, you know, judges aren't supposed to be like, yeah, I disagree. You guys are done. You know, there's, there's supposed to be like, here's, here's the decision. It's the federal court of Canada, right? And her decision was really slim. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but basically, basically she, her decision was, this is what the government said. This is what you guys said. I agree with the government. Next, this is what the government said. This is what you guys said. I agree with the government. Now, I, I don't want to imply that there's something going on there. I, you know, I mean, for, for somebody, you know, just a, a regular dumb, dumb off the street like me, you know, I could be forgiven by, th for thinking, like what is, what is, what's going on here? Is this like the judge is like, well, you know what? <clears throat> I'm just going to throw a decision together that could be easily appealed. And but that process is going to take a year. I'll throw that decision out. Government, that gives you another year to legislate your way out of this lawsuit. Right. Because they did all this using an order in council. Right. Which is a legal instrument that they have. But but it's not legislation. It's not debated. It's not scrutinized. Nothing. So maybe I'm thinking. You know, like I say, just a guy off the street would think like, well, maybe that's what she's trying to give the government the opportunity to do. And maybe we'll win on appeal or maybe she doesn't care if it's appeal and gets overturned because, 
you know, maybe she's biased. I don't know. Or maybe we have absolutely no property rights in Canada at all, which is what the government keeps telling us. And we have, and, and, you know, something else that came out in the case was, and the judge said this, that the government owes no procedural fairness to gun owners. So it's, it's like the government base, she's basically saying just government can do whatever it wants to whoever it wants, whenever it wants, take whatever they, you, they want out of your life and just grab it. And if you got $2.4 million to throw at a lawsuit, maybe you can see if it's fair or not, but at the end, we'll just take it anyway. And you'll get nowhere. And so this is bigger than just property rights of firearms. Like you're talking about the principle of property rights, my car, my house. Yeah. Well, and and it's funny because there was a, there was a story that just came out that the government is going to start cracking down on people that own property that want to use it for short-term rentals. And I, it's funny because I, I don't, I don't comment too much outside of anything but firearms because the firearms is, you know, that's my job and that's where I focus. But I just thought, isn't that interesting? Because today, you know, yesterday was guns and it was whatever, like they haven't justified anything, right? Like this is the big problem. It's like, if those guns were too dangerous for people to have, even though we've had AR-15 since the sixties and a variety of those other guns for a hundred years, you know, you, you, you should have to prove that those are like, there should be some burden of proof, right? Like you should have to justify that. And the government's like, yeah, we're not justifying nothing basically. So, and now not, not, not like, I don't know, five weeks later, now all of a sudden they're saying, if you own property, you own a home, real estate, we're going to make it so that you can't use it to generate income or whatever. And I'm like, well, here's the progression, right? So the crazy gun owners, the, the nuts from the woods, you know, saying, well, you don't have any proper property rights. We just proved that, you know, you better pay attention, Canada. This You're in it too. And Canadians, non-gun owners are like, yeah, we don't care. And now they're going to, you're going to see them all crying about how they have no property <laughs> rights to their, their Airbnbs and whatnot. And and I, I know I'm kind of capitalizing on the conversation for a second, but let me add one thing. This is the upside down world we live in in Canada. It's wild. But then not only three or four days ago, I don't know if you saw the news, but um, there was there was someone suing the government over single use plastics, right? Straws and shopping bags. And the federal court went through that whole procedure like they went through with us about shot. And they said, no, government banning plastic straws and plastic shopping bags is a bridge too far. You've stepped over the line. Yeah. And it's 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 overly broad and, un, you know, and, and unacceptable. For you guys to man that stuff. Yeah, I did, I did right. see that one. And the, uh, uh, I think there was a, uh, a statement from the minister of environment, federal minister of uh, the environment that the government is going to appeal that decision because it wants to keep its stranglehold on, on plastic straws. So, you know, <laughs> how, how many millions of dollars are they going to spend uh, on, on that wow. one? But <clears throat> that's, that's just, it's bizarre. Yeah, they can come and take guns away from me. I haven't done anything and I get a criminal record check every day and they can come and do that and allocate billions upon billions of dollars, borrowed tax dollars to to buy back those guns without justifying anything. But, you know, I you know, they want me to keep drinking from a from a paper straw, you know, like it's just it's like it's upside down world. Right. Yeah. Have you been seeing any other, you know, um, legal folks interpreting that court case 
differently um, than than what what your read is on it or your team's read? Um, I haven't. Okay. But the decision was so slim. I don't think you're going to see a lot of analysis on it. But we did, I guess, to finish that story off, we did just, we did make the decision to appeal. We are appealing to the federal court. Okay. The government is coming after us for costs, which that's what you have to you have to be prepared to pay those if you lose. It's not like the states; you don't have to pay all of them. There's a calculation. It's a fraction of the cost, but nonetheless, we had to be um, in a position to withstand that, even take the government on to begin with. But um, if we went on appeal, those we'll get those costs back from the government. So anyway, I think this, this story is going to continue on probably for another nine months to a year. Okay. Okay. Hmm. Wow. Crazy. Well, I mean, that's one of the things I'll go right back to one of the first things I said is, you know, thank you for, you know, on behalf of everybody for, for doing that. That's a, that was a monstrosity of, of, of a job. Um, yeah. And, and I guess kind of deflating as well to, you know, have, have, have it, like you said, just sort of be wrapped up so, so quickly with so minimal, minimal rationalization. It's just, it's weird. It's, and there are weird things that happen in the courts in this country where, you know, judges overturn each other, you know, and, and like completely reverse things. And, I like, I don't know if they don't like each other or they don't care or they're just there collecting a paycheck or if there's something just very philosophical about what they're doing from a legal perspective. But, um, that's just bizarre. That's a bizarre story. Um, yeah, it it is. Okay. So kind of moving on, you recently presented to the Senate um, who are in, I think since, since the summertime have had bill C 21, uh, which originally was supposed to start out as the handgun, uh, freeze bill. So tell us about that presentation and what sort of the focus of what you were presenting to the Senate and how it went. Well, the, the Senate, um, if you know, people may be familiar with my appearance at the Public Safety Committee when the bill was in the House, and it was very, <laughs> it was very different than what happened at the Senate because in the House committees you have politicians, right? And I mean, if you just look at the the interaction with politicians and the public and politicians with each other, and I mean, it's 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 crazy town, right? Um, and my my interaction with the liberals on that committee and the block to be uh, you know uh, as well was it was crazy town. I mean those com- those committees are are set up to bring experts in from across the country at taxpayer expense to advise, give their side of the story, or give advice to these committees because these people aren't experts and they they use it to make speeches and try to vilify people and whatever. So I was prepared for that at the Senate. But the Senate was a lot more, um, a lot more polite and a lot more professional. So that was great. But I've testified to the Senate before, but this time it was a little bit different. And what we did at the CCFR is uh, we created a campaign called Scrap C21, and it's there's a website scrapc21.ca, and there's letter writing there. There's uh, C21 informational posters that we sent for free to any range across Canada. There's 1,400 of them. 
Um, so, you know, if they requested a poster pack, we'd send that for free and, um, and, and whatnot. And one of the things that we did as part of this program is I recorded a, uh, an 18 minute video because what happens is when you go to the Senate, you get a five minute opening statement and these people have been there all day listening to people, right? So it's very difficult for you to, to convince them or have any level of meaningful dialogue when it's like five minutes. Well, this whole thing is more complicated than five minutes. And then you get to answer a few questions. And, and because I've been, have had some experience in that, I'm like, nothing gets done. So what I did was I recorded this, put this really nice high quality video together. And I asked gun owners as part of this campaign to contact all the senators at the Canadian Senate and ask them to watch that video. And so they got the full, you know, with evidence and data and all the rest of that stuff ahead of time. It was like a pre-read that they could have so they would understand what I'm talking about. And they they all watched it because they said, you know, Mr. Giltaka, we got your video and uh, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, awesome. So that was uh, that was a bit of a setup that we did. Um, cool, one's ever done. Yeah, yeah. It was really, it was really exciting. I'll have to use that. <laughs> and, sorry? I'll have to use that. Yeah, it was it was really good. And you can find it on the CCFR's YouTube channel. It's called Bill C twenty one for Senators. I you know I, I did the best I could. You know, it's, it was a lot of work to make that video. But um, the the gist of why we went there, Bill C twenty one has uh, some red flag provisions which are redundant, but whatever. They got some of that stuff in there. Um, they have a variety. They have a magazine restriction law in there. They got uh, some things about smuggling which are honestly useless. They're raising the maximum uh, minimum from 10 years to 14 years. No one's ever gotten the 10 year maximum that we could find. So it was just ridiculous stuff. But the big thing that we were there to talk about was the handgun ban. And I think, you know, the, the story about handguns is really important. And it, and I know that we're, you know, we're talking to a lot of hunters Our uh, our community can be very stratified, right? And the fight over handguns should be really interesting and very important to hunters because we're a, we're a community of people that are taking turns being the tip of the spear. So the very tip of the spear was people that owned like AR-15s, black rifles, the sport shooters, right? They got their stuff taken away. And then here comes Bill C-21 a little, little while later. And they're like, okay, well, we're going we're gonna to ban handguns. We're going to take those away too. So they're not actually confiscating them. But no, they're all going to die with the people that own them. And then they're going to be confiscated with no compensation. That's the liberal plan. But when they're done with that, they're going to come after the rest of the semi-autos. And that's your Browning bar. That's your, your uh, Remington, you know, stuff like that. And then the language that the liberals have been using, too, is rapid fire firearms. They don't, they don't say semi-auto much anymore. They say rapid fire. And the reason for that is it's very same, very similar uh, language that they use in Australia because rapid fire means lever action. It means pump action. So because you can shoot just as fast with a pump action as you can with a semi-auto almost. Yeah. I mean, we're talking one second or a fraction of a second quicker. So they, they start, they change the language and they just go to the next most dangerous firearm. So, and when it comes to handguns, very few legally held handguns ever show up at crime scenes. You know, very, that's very rare for that to happen. So we were there pretty much defending handguns. And the other reason that, that, that I think hunters and just casual firearm owners need to pay attention to what happens with handgun owners and owners of AR-15s is because these are the people 
that have to be members of gun clubs. And these are the people that have to go to gun clubs to shoot those guns. And if they don't have those guns, they're not going to spend their $200, $300, $400 a year supporting gun clubs and everything else and the fundraisers and everything else that happens at gun clubs. So out of the four, and, and I told the senators in my speech, out of the 1,400 gun clubs across the country, you better be completely prepared to lose 700 of them over the coming years as people like me die off or are get out of guns because I'm not, why would I be a member of a, a, a gun club? I can shoot my bolt action and my pump action out in the bush. And you're going to lose all, you're going to lose billions in real estate and millions of hours of effort and, and, and the culture that goes along with it. The gun clubs are going to be the big victims here, along with handgun owners and owners of AR-15s and other restrictive rifles. So it's, um, I, I, you can find the, the speech itself on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube, type in CCFR, you'll find our channel and you'll see my opening speech. And, and it was just, uh, you know, understand what you guys are doing if you're going to let this bill go on through. And don't forget about the generational anger that you're going to create in a Canada that's never been more divided than it is right now, because you can't justify any of this stuff. So people are going to be angry and it's going to be a lot of people. 650,000 people are licensed to own handguns in Canada, which is about 150,000 more than play organized hockey. <laughs> so it's not a small community. Yeah. Yeah. Holy. Now maybe just fill folks in a little bit, um, just in case somebody out there doesn't know, but a year ago there was those unexpected amendments to the handgun bill C21 that sort of like hit everybody from from left field and had a bunch of hunting firearms in it and caused a a big fervor so maybe maybe back up kind of to that point and then and then walk folks up to where that is now because that was that was a lot of hunting long rifles and and uh rifles with you know high muzzle you know energy and stuff so so update folks on where that came from and where it's at now. So the liberals, um, the liberals and the bloc and the NDP together, but mostly the liberals <clears throat> created a, over a hundred amendments to their own bill. So, <laughs> and I mean, it's just that the idea of that is completely ridiculous, but anyway, they, 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 they put bill C 21 out and then it got into the committee, uh, uh, into the the, uh, the committee phase, and then they're like, oh yeah, and here's a hundred amendment, a completely different bill than what they, and that's just general incompetence and um, and skullduggery, I guess would be a great <laughs> would be a great word to describe that, right? So they want to sneak in a bunch of stuff, and there were two amendments that caused a, a bunch of problems, and that was uh, Amendment G4 and G46. Amendment G4 was the amendment that um, describes what a assault style firearm is. That is still in the bill, except it applies to only future firearms that come onto the market in Bill C-21. And we'll get into that whole thing in a second, because that's really important. But they said, you know, basically all sem center fire semi-autos with removable magazines should be banned, basically. And, and I'm, par I'm paraphrasing. So, and then and that affects hunting rifles as well. And then they had a big list, and that was G-46 of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of guns that were going to be prohibited by name, not by order and council that another government can change in legislation, that you would need a majority government and a bill to change. And so um, 
which is not, that's not a great position to be in. And in there were all the Mauser action rifles, your Parker Hale rifles, um, a, pretty much every semi-automatic 22 other than the Ruger 10 um, there was, there was tons of stuff. Uh, the Ruger number one, a bunch of single shot stuff and of all calibers. And they, they went out on this big campaign and they were lying. So don't only, only the, the really big ones, the, only the Mausers that were like 10,000 jewels, like being basically four sixties or 50 cals. And it's like, well, I haven't seen any Mausers that are 50 cal. Um, but you name them by name in the legislation. That means all of them are banned. And then once that passed, the RCMP would come and they'd say, well, Hey man, look at all these bolt actions that are banned. I mean, what's a variant of a of of a Mauser, of a 1908 Brazilian Mauser, 100 and some odd, 120, 110 year old rifle? What's a variant of that? Well, any bolt action can be a variant of that, especially military designs like the Remington 700. So it they they got in a lot of trouble. Uh, thankfully, hunters, a lot of hunters got involved, right? Because there's more hunters than anybody, and hunters. It's very easy for hunters to say, well, they're never going to come after my bolt action. And it's like, yeah, you're right. It's going to be at least 20 years before they come after your bolt action. But remember, I'm going to be gone. All the other activist firearm owners are going to be gone, like the handgun owners and the black rifle people. We're the ones that are always fighting, typically, right? There's lots of hunters that are active. But on mass, it's we're the ones because we're the ones that are always getting, you know what I mean? They're, they're always after us. But when we're all gone, you're going to be fighting that fight on by yourself and you won't have the power that we all have together right now if we all stand together there's a lot of people and that's the only thing that scares these people is when they're like holy man i got ten thousand letters in the span of six days that's what that's what scares them uh, you know they don't care about right versus wrong they care about whether or not they're going to lose the next election that's all these people care about and so they uh we were able to have them withdraw those two amendments now Again, sorry for going on and on, but this is important. They withdrew those amendments. And so a lot of people were like, okay, we're good. Well, now in Bill C-21, they have this new, um, they have this new uh, definition of what an assault-style firearm is. So nothing new can come into the country. And then at the same time, Marco Mendicino, um, which has now been echoed by Dominic LeBlanc, who's the, who's the new uh, Minister for Public Safety, said, Oh, yeah. Remember all those guns? We withdrew those amendments, but we're reforming this thing called the Canadian Firearms Advisory Committee, CFAC. And we're going to put police in there and anti-gun groups and women's groups and public safety groups and more. I don't know who more is, but anyway, they're going to stack it full of their people, basically. And the committee will recommend what guns need to be banned. And the government will ban them using order and counsel like they did on May 1st, 2020. That's their commitment. And they've, re, they've restated that commitment many times, most recently, even in the Senate committee said, yep, that's exactly what we're doing. So they haven't reformed that committee yet, but you can rest assured when they do, you'll have polycessive, yeah, you'll have coalition for gun control. You have all these people and they're like, nobody needs anything more than, you know, a 308. You know, all these other things are assault weapons or sniper rifles. And those, they're going to start banning them by, by fiat, just like they did before. And um, so the good news of that, if there is any good news is, although governments in our system can do whatever it wants to anybody it wants, we, we're not like the Americans, we have no codified rights. And we've, that's now proven, by the way, <laughs> via a few court cases, right? But anything that, even though the government can do anything it wants to anybody, 
the next government can do whatever it wants too. They can, the next government can roll it all back too. So basically what we really need, and I don't carry water for the conservatives, but they're the only choice if you want any guns, because they're the only party that is friendly to gun owners that has a chance of winning. So the, the, when, the, when the conservatives get in, because they will, but we need everybody to help do that, they're going to reverse all the bans. That's a commitment that we've gotten from them. So all the bans will get reversed. And, uh, and hopefully we can start making a little bit of headway and start making these laws reasonable. And at the same time, I've gotten a commitment from certain members of the Conservative Party that they will drop the hammer. I'm talking wrecking ball hammer on criminals. So crime will get punished in Canada and the people that are doing all the shooting will go to jail and stay in there. So crime will go down while we get our guns back. So, um, you know, the plan is to have at least three years before the next election is say, like here, look, we all got our guns back. We're firing all kinds of rounds at the range again and crime went down. So you can't argue with, with that, especially when it's recent past, right? So anyway, that's sort of the situation. This is what we're trying to, uh, we're working with right now. Well, so, so just this week, um, there's sort of been an uproar, you know, across the country over the announcement that Canada, um, starting on the 8th of January, it's actually earlier. It's, it's this month. It's like, uh, uh, in a few few days, there's there's a deadline about the importation of hunting trophies from Africa, uh, ivory and horn, and so you know that that was an amendment to a regulation caught a lot of people you, you know off guard, and so I've got like outfitters in Africa, um, you know, messaging and you know like what's going on because you know they they kind of dodged the bullet, so to speak, with the big UK trophy import ban. And uh, this this uh, outfitter in Africa was saying, well, if there's a change in government, like they they can reverse that, right? And and I'm like, they can, but like the gun control stuff is going to like be at, at the forefront. Um, there's going to be stuff to do with carbon taxes and the price of fuel and, and groceries and the rental stuff that we were talking about. And it, you know, th- this is what scares me with a lot of this stuff is what can the liberal government do between now and next October, knowing that when a new party comes in, they're going to spend those first hundred days trying to undo a bunch of that stuff. But eventually they, it's like eventually they have to stop and get on with the business of running the country and the current affairs. And some of that stuff sticks. Um, Mm -hmm. and so, you know, things are going to get prioritized. Um, you know, an import ban on hunting trophies could, could stick, uh, you know, on some of these things. So that in itself kind of worries me about, you know, what could come out of the woodwork with firearms uh, between now and, and next October as well. Do you have any kind of sense of something that's going to come out of the woodwork? Well, uh, the, the problem with the liberals and their collaborators in the NDP and the bloc, like, you know, don't, don't be under any illusions. They're all the same people, right? That's, that's, you know, I, you know, I, I, I shudder to think that Canadians would be like, well, I can't, 
the liberals have made this mess. You know, I'm going to go, I'm going to vote for the NDP next time, or I'm voting for the block. It's like, you're, you're voting for the same people. You know, we, if you want your children to have a future, we need a, a party that's going to have a lot less damaging policies than this group of people that have been voting together. Um, as far as what, you know, as far as what they're capable of, they're capable of anything. The liberals are like a wounded animal right now. Right. And so if they think, if they sniff that there's an opportunity to get votes somehow by doing something, they'll, they'll do it. And they don't care who gets hurt, who gets their stuff taken, how angry they are. They don't care about any of that stuff. Uh, I think the only saving grace right now is man, the liberals got, they're getting a lot of heat from every side. Like everybody's angry at them, which is, which is, which is good. But um, I'm hoping, I think, I think that if I were to guess, to be honest with you, if I were to guess, I would think that they're going to pass Bill C-21 and they're going to leave the gun control thing alone for a little while. You may see CFAC, that committee, get put together and maybe, maybe they'll have a couple of meetings and there'll be some rumors floating around about certain guns getting banned or whatever. But I think, I think they, they're a little shy after the, the whooping they took politically um, after those two amendments. So I'm, I'm thinking they may have may have seen that they've wrung as many votes as they could out of this thing and that it's it's just not paying off. Gun control is not paying off like it was. I think people are you know thinking about more important things like uh, they don't have any place to live or they can't afford food. And as, and as those things get get worse, they're going to, you know, people are going to be like, yeah, you know what? I don't care about the sport shooters and, you know, like, just, yeah, I want you to leave them alone and fix what you've done. So I'd like to think that the worst, it might get a little bit worse before it gets better, but I think, you know, it's not going to be as bad as it's been for the last year, I don't think. Oh, yeah. Now, the buyback um, topic maybe kind of fill folks in on on i mean that's that's a lot of the you know the sports shooting um restricted you know firearms but there was a big kind of change change of direction on that one here recently this fall so again sort of walk people through that that what they were trying to do the timelines they were trying to do it and what happened to it well, when they when they first announced the buyback, I mean, they it tur- as it turns out, they were talking about a buyback and a big prohibition back in 2019. And they they were told, oddly enough, that it was going to cost one point eight billion dollars. And, uh, you know, that which is very interesting because everyone knows, like, you know, I hate to make a broad sweeping statement, but I will. Um, any idiot <laughs> off the street knows that if the government says something's going to cost $2 million, it will probably cost $2 billion. And you don't have to be a pessimist. You just have to look at reality, at, at, the, at the record, right? So anyway, they were told that this buyback was going to cost $1.8 billion back in 2019. Then, I don't know, about eight months later, I guess, somewhere around there, the shooting, the spree shooting in Nova Scotia happened. And they're like, now's the time. The country is wounded. It's hurting less role of a prohibition and a, and a supposed buyback out. So two weeks later, they rolled this whole thing out. And Bill Blair told Canadians that it was this is a really big project, this buyback, and it's going to cost between uh, 350 to 400 million dollars. That's the scale we're talking about. He completely lied. But Bill Blair is um he's a, he's a machine. He's a lying machine. And I've been I dealt with Bill Blair the entire time. 
that I mean, there's even that that interview, that discussion I had with him on camera across the table from him back in the uh, 20, uh, 2021 election, or was it the one before 2019 election? But nonetheless, um, so when they roll this buyback out or the the, uh, the announcement, anyone that knows anything about this kind of thing said, you're not you're not doing this anytime soon. Canada is 10 million square kilometers. It's not New Zealand. New Zealand is half the size of British Columbia, right? So it's not you're you're not you're not rolling something like that out. You know, if you think about firearms in Canada too, where are you going to find all the people that can appraise and identify, verify a firearm, right? Take it, make sure it doesn't discharge. I mean, police accidentally discharge firearms they're not familiar with, much less you know whoever's going to work at these collection stations. Then destroy the firearm. Figure out what the paybacks payout's going to be. Or they're not going to destroy it there. It has to be transported somewhere. So somehow make it safe for transport. Guard these guns in case a gang. Like this just this is too huge. And so we said you're never you're never going to roll this out. And it's not going to be four hundred million dollars. It's going to be four billion dollars. And we're not the only people that said something like that. Um, so anyway, they're no closer today to rolling that buyback out than they were on May the first, twenty twenty. So um, there was talk about using Canada Post. They would send you, you would you would do on, an online form. Canada Post would send you a box, stick an AR-15 in there <laughs> and then send it to the post office. But Canada Post at that time was like, are you nuts? Like, what are we going to have like 30 AR-15s at a post office sitting there waiting to go to the, to the, you know, to the distribution depot? Like, are you nuts? Like, and the only thing standing between criminals and the AR-15 is our employees? Like, What? So anyway, and um, and the RCMP uh, have been reluctant to participate as well because they are having a hard time getting enough people to do this thing that they're involved in uh, policing. Uh, so it's been a real challenge for them. Um, so we haven't heard that they're any closer rolling anything out. They, we did hear that they were going to they were working with the OPP in Ontario and that the OPP had agreed to help the feds do this in Ontario, which is bad. But apparently, um, that's that agreement now is somehow not working anymore. So we don't know where it's at. But those firearms are the ones that you talked at the opening of the show that just have to sit in your cabinet at home and you're not allowed to take them to the range. So they're literally stuck in in limbo in this this alternate universe of you you have it technically it's worth nothing if you can't use it and you don't know what's going to happen well and and interestingly enough like if i can you know if if i if i have a few drinks or whatever and i'm imagining what a real government would look like and it's it's such a stretch for the imagination that i'm not sure that i could even come up with anything you know mildly realistic but if i were to to theorize what a, a government would look like, even if the government thought, you know what, we need to do this for public safety. There's been too many multiple victim public shootings or whatever, right? And they justified it or whatever. And even gun owners were upset. Like a government would be like, okay, well, these aren't the people that, that like these people haven't done anything. And it could be a long time till we get this buyback off the ground. These people have owned these guns forever without a problem. So, you know what? We'll tell you what gun owners, you can't transfer them. Um, but what you can do is you can still use them just, just like handguns, 
your grandfather, everybody say, yeah, you can still go to the range. You can still you do your shooting events. We don't need to destroy your culture and destroy your sport and wreck the clubs. We don't need to do any of that. That's not necessary. That's not our goal. So you just keep doing that. But just be aware that at some point in the future, we are going to get this buyback and you can't sell or transfer your guns until that happens. And, you know, so that's just the way, you know, you know what I mean? Like, because then you'd have a government that would be like that, that that's not malevolent. They're not like everybody has to get punished. And we need to show these people who's in charge here, right. which is what they've done. You can't even go to the like I can't even go to the range and discharge the rifle. You know, like, does that make any sense to anybody? And of course, if you think about it, it doesn't make any sense to anyone. But it's just it's punitive. Right. It's like no rod. We're in charge. You'll do what we say or you'll go to jail. We'll send we'll send guys with guns to your house and grab you and grab your stuff. You know, I'm like, OK, I won't shoot my gun at the range. Good. You know what I mean? Like, so, yeah, I think they, I think if you had um, a little bit more of a, an altruistic, honest government, they would have done things a lot differently and they wouldn't have had to uh, really take out um, all of their basically, basically they're taking their voters and they're saying, look, we're going to punish all of these people that you don't identify with that don't vote for us. We're going to punish them for you. And um, unfortunately, their voters are like, yeah, you know, I don't like those country people. You know, they shoot animals and they shoot black rifles and they say yeehaw and whatever right and yeah punish them i mean that's that's the that's the political reality in canada right now but yep. uh yeah yeah i would like to would have liked to see that unfold a little bit differently now what alberta and saskatchewan made amendments to their provincial firearms acts to i guess try to kind of circumvent um uh, the the buyback or or having to turn turn in, well, explain those to to the best of your ability. <laughs> like, yeah. So to the best of my knowledge, um, I think that you know my rudimentary understanding of what they're doing is uh, when it comes the in the case of Saskatchewan or is it Alberta or both? Anyway, I think their their firearm acts are a little bit different. But anyway, one of the tactics is is that the province says anyone that's going to be deployed to confiscate firearms and any kind of buyback or confiscation scheme or whatever <clears throat> needs to have a license in the province. And so which forces the RCMP or the Calgary police or Regina police or whatever to go to the province to say, well, <laughs> I guess we need licenses because it's time to take you know licensed gun owners guns away and the province says there's a huge backlog. We don't know. Phil, put your application in and leave it with us. We'll get back to you when the license is ready. <laughs> yeah. Right. So which allows them, it's it's really, um, in my opinion, a delay tactic. Um, because we right now, um, a court solution, a legal solution is not really on the table. Um, dealing with the trying to get the liberals to see the light, that will never happen. The NDP never happened. Uh, the uh, the block, that will never happen. The only solution right now left on the table in the interim before our appeal is heard um, is is a political solution. So, you know, all focus is on getting the conservatives a, a majority government and then it can be like none of this ever happened. But the downside to that is four years later, it could all happen again with the next government. I mean, this is just how our system works. But, you know, it's a delay tactic to get to the next election, which hopefully we will win and, and we can put all this stuff behind us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's just, 
It's crazy. I mean, there's so many facets to all of this, you know, that's touching on, on, you know, collectively firearms owners. Um, but it's, it's an interesting one because, you know, there is such different communities in this country of firearms owners, like, you know, the sport shooters, um, the, you know, the handgun owners, the, you know, the hunting, uh, and, it's our common thread is that we all own firearms, but human nature being human nature, it's very easy to, to sort of pit one against the other. And, uh, you know, and, and the, you knowing the other ones are, are just going to like keep their mouth quiet because they don't want, you know, to be too loud. And, and, uh, you know, one of the criticisms I heard like last year of, you, you know, the hunting community is that, Hey, all, all you're doing is, is you're just going on to the website, looking to see if your make and model is on the list and then going, I'm good. Done. See you later. And, and, and people were calling that kind of, you know, behavior out and, um, it, it's, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a ripe situation for the groups to be pitted against each other, which I think happened. Do you see that has changed? Do you see a coalescence of the various users of firearms in the country? Are, are they, are they still divided? Are they, are we getting better? Um, it's hard to say. I think, you know, there's 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 no ill wind that doesn't blow some good. And I think those amendments really woke a lot of hunters up. And that's and the liberals knew it. And that's why they backed off. Absolutely. So, well, backed off fairly quickly. Right. Because the hunters are the sleeping giant. Right. Um, they're the last to lose their guns. Um, and they're the biggest group at the same time. So it's yeah, it's it's very difficult to get gun owners to stand together and to think think ahead. Right. Because like I said, you know, it's like there's there's different layers. You know, the black rifle people get beat up first. They'll be gone. The handgun people get beat up next. It's like, yeah, you don't think that it's going to be you. But pretty soon there'll be nothing but you standing there and you'll be the new target. And, and you got to remember, I think if you're a gun owner and you're like, yeah, but, you know, you, you have to. It's I'm like for, as individually as an individual, I'm not doing this just to save my own guns. I'm doing this so that my my kids can inherit my guns and they can own guns too, because in my opinion, firearm ownership is a feature of a free and equitable society, right? You don't you don't have any society where you have slaves, which are the underclass. They don't give slaves guns. You give citizens guns, right? You let let them live their lives and 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 use firearms and have some responsibility and have the ability to pr protect themselves if need be, or to hunt for food or to pursue excellence in sport and whatever, right? You, there should be some, some, uh, you know, some rights and privileges that come along with being a good law abiding citizen. So I, I want to, I want to pass my guns down to my daughter. She has an RPAL, you know, she's in her mid twenties, but unfortunately my handguns are now banned. They can't be transferred. And now if I die, the RCMP are going to come and collect those and she'll never get them, which is going to be a huge loss for her. So it's not just for us, it's for the next generation. And that's why that's why you, you have to get involved at some level. And, and I think the other thing is you have most people, especially casual firearm owners, they're just like, wow, you know, I pulled this rifle out twice a year to go hunting and then, then it's away. I'm not even interested in any other kinds of firearm stuff. And the, you know, to those people, I'd say, 
Well, take a second and think about what getting involved looks like, right? It's not like, well, oh, now I have to every weekend, I got to be marching on Parliament. I was like, no, nobody's asking to do that. Support a firearm organization. You know, there's a few of them in the country. Costs around 40 bucks a year, which isn't even a box of 308 these days, really. Shoot shoot some firearm organizations, a donation or, or become a member. Great. You'll get insurance and you get some goodies and whatever in return as well. That helps these organizations continue to do like as far as the CCFR is concerned, showing up at, at committee, you know, testifying. We held a press conference on Parliament Hill. So we're interfacing with the media. We're telling our stories. We produce uh, documentaries. We, you know, we take out billboards. We do all kinds of we have a television show on Wild TV. We have a podcast that's viewed by a lot of people. We, we are out there, uh, you know, I, I've done over 100 mainstream media like CBC, CTV, all the rest of that interviews this year alone, right? Same thing with Tracy Wilson, my counterpart of the CCFR. At least you've got somebody speaking for you that's doing that work and you don't have to do anything but support them. The other thing is, is when, you know, you got organizations saying, hey, write a letter, you know, scroll down a couple of sentences, fold it up, put a stamp on it, write this address, throw it in the mail, it's free to, to mail to Parliament Hill. Right. Like just take that take that 20 minutes, you know, twice a month for the two months that we're fighting a certain bill and just do that. Right. Like it's not I think what I'm trying to say is I'm not trying to be um, uh, facetious or anything. It's just it's not a lot of effort to get involved. Nobody's asking you to do a ton of stuff. I think people are just asking you to do a little bit, because if a lot of people do just a little bit, it's a huge effect. Right now, you have a small group of people doing everything and burning themselves out. And then they just they just disengage and turn off. I feel I, you know, I think of doing that probably um, once every six weeks. <laughs> so, you know, so it's it's like get in, just take an interest, do a little reading on some websites. Right. And go to the CCFR's website. You go to, to Facebook or wherever, whatever you're involved in. Just kind of get boned up a little bit on what's going on and how you can, can you know, contribute just literally half an hour of your time and just do that. If everybody does that, we are hugely powerful. And you if, know, if the majority do it, we're, we we got nothing. That half an hour, I think that half an hour can be spent doing the things that you just said, constructive things that'll make a difference. But I think there's a lot of people out there that spend more than half an hour on Facebook, on the social media, just simply wow. making comments that are not getting any buddy anywhere. It's like, oh, well, that's, you know, uh, the government's just doing this and their virtue signaling and stuff. And it's like, what does that comment do? It's not, it, you're, you're venting your, your anger. Great. I get that. But add all of that up, you know, your little soapbox things over the course of the week. And there's your half an hour. There's your email. It's hours. Yeah. There's your email to yeah. a minister. There's the letter. Um, if your time is worth money, there's your 40 bucks to have a membership with the CCFR. Like it, it, it's, it's funny how, you know, people will waste their time and and energy and money, you know, uh, taking shots at people, uh, in their comments. But then when you ask them to do something as simple as what you've just said, that actually means a lot, um, you know, then, then they kind of look down at their shoelaces, but 
uh, hopefully, hopefully that this will inspire a few people to 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 do that. And uh, you're exactly right. A membership to the CCFR is uh, forty bucks. It's super super easy to do. And like I said at the start of the show, I see you guys every single day on social media um, doing something for firearms owner. And and um, yeah, I can't you know write a check like the big clubs are. Um, you know, for you, but, but again, they're a bunch of individual people that are given 20 bucks and that allows their club to give you five or 10,000 bucks and so on and so on. So, um, yeah, it, it seems small, but, uh, but yeah, I, I totally agree that those are some things that folks can do and hopefully take away, you know, away from this to kind of bring it to a close here do a little bit of forward thinking into the new year beyond. I think you've touched on a few things uh, a little bit. What do you see that's positive in this whole gun control debate that you, that you're, that you feel like you're gaining some ground, that you're making a bit of a difference. And then again, what, what's kind of, you kind of got your eye on, on something just waiting to see if it, if it rears its head. Well, the most important thing, uh, the the best news, the most encouraging thing right now is is that the conservatives are riding really high in the polls. Okay, and okay. It's, it's you know, and it's thanks to the liberals. Um, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't like to use uh, hyperbole, but uh, you know, destroying the country. I think <laughs> setting fire to everything uh, on so many levels, right? So people are waking up and they're figuring out like, you know, food's expensive for a reason. I can't find a place to live for a reason. My kid can't get out of the basement and he's 28 years old for a reason. You know, um, citizens are angry. Like gun owners are angry for a reason. There's a reason for that. It's not that there's angry people, right? So we're, 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 we're getting a lot of benefit from Trudeau and his team doing what it is that they're doing. And, and don't get me wrong. Hey, when I was, when I was in my thirties, I voted liberal. So it's not like I was a conservative my whole life. Right. But as you, as you start to get older and you want to be something, you tend to go like, somehow I have to, (laughs) I have to keep enough money for me to, to get somewhere in life. Right. And then you start thinking like, okay, well, you start thinking deeper about, uh, you know, governments and whatnot, but, but, um, that is, that's what, this is going in the right direction. And I think I, I'm going to have to, I guess I have no choice, but to be a little bit naive and just say, you know what, the, I think that the conservatives are going to fill, fulfill their promises to roll all this stuff back and get these, you know, just give us back our stuff and, and leave us alone, at least for four to, to eight years. Um, so the, the number one priority is to get conservatives elected in every single riding. The more of a majority that we get, the faster things will get through committees, the faster the legislation will get through. When, when you're just riding the line or a minority government like the liberals have right now, it's really difficult to get legislation through. So we want to make sure that we get a really, really clear conservative mandate. And um, I think their ideas are good. I deal with the conservatives all the time. Their ideas are good. Their intentions are good. If uh, if they don't do, if they don't help us, I don't know. I'll probably lose faith in the whole thing you, and I'll just evaporate. But uh, <laughs> never see me again. But right now it's just looking good. So we just got to weather the storm. But the most important thing is you show up on election day. If there's an election called, like you take it upon yourself to find as many people, your kids and your cousins and whatever, and your neighbors and drive them in your car to the polls to have them vote and drive them home and feed them hot chocolate and Baileys and whatever to get them out to vote. We need to just 
wiped the floor with the liberals and the NDP and the bloc and, uh, and, and turned the country around on many levels um, and very importantly on, on firearms, on the firearms file. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good, a good forecast, good, good forward thinking message to get people thinking along those lines. What's, um, what are you, what are you keeping your eye on over the next year? Well, we're just, we're, we're responding to what the liberals are doing. We're, we're, uh, continuing to be in the mainstream media as much as we can, because there's a lot of, a lot of people that, uh, that still believe that the mainstream media is, um, is the place to go for information. So we have to be there and we have a pretty good relationship with mainstream media in, in Canada, thankfully. Um, and we are just going to continue rolling projects out. So we're going to fight bill C 21 right till the day that it's law. We're going to continue to do that. Um, one of the big things we have is our television show on Wild TV, and that lets us um, that that gives us access to a lot of casual firearm owners and hunters, which is really important. There's never been a a show like it's called um, CCFR Radio on the air, and it's a it's a half hour news show for firearm issues. There's never been a show like it in the history of Canada on cable, that's for sure. So um, that's a really great opportunity. We continue to do that, and we produce a lot of different content. And, uh, and I guess we'll, we're going to, um, we're appealing that court case. So our lawsuit, so we'll see, maybe we, we might win that. You never know, but we'll keep on fighting. Cause it, even though we've taken some big losses, like to me, the court case was a big loss because we put a lot into it, a lot of effort, a lot of time, a lot of money, but that's what we promised we would do. And we did it, but you know, it's funny, even when I got the news, I was like, yeah, well, we knew that might happen. And get back to work. You just keep fighting these people because at the end of the day, there's really only two choices. You can sit there, shut your mouth and take it. Whatever they're willing to dish out, you just take it. You don't say anything or you just, just complain to your friends, right? Which is worthless. Or you just figure out every single conceivable way that you can fight these people and just keep fighting them. And you know, I've been doing this eight years and I'm pretty good at it because I just look at it like I'm punching a clock at work. You know, all these all these people out there, all these these politicians, they're emotionally invested and they're fighting and they're angry and their eyes are bugging out. And I'm just like, yeah, well, whatever. You know, we're going to campaign directly against you in the next election. You know, we 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 put we wrapped a 40 foot RV, if you remember, yep. with liberal failure and then a bunch of gun stuff and faces of politicians and parked that right in front of their campaign offices during the 2019 election. Like, I'll do that stuff all day long to these people. I'll fight them forever for a decade. And it makes no emotional difference to me. And that's, I think a, a few of them have come to realize that at least our organization is like, yeah, we're never going to stop. We're never going to stop. As long as you're punching gun owners in the face, we're coming to punch you in the face and it'll never end. We'll never end. We'll see who gets tired first. So keep the most important thing is keep that attitude and keep fighting them. And if you've got to write a letter here and there, or you've got to go visit your MP once in a while, you know, go do that. And it's it just all of us together just really helps. So we're just going to keep fighting. That's what, that's the message. That's the takeaway. I like that. You keep punching us and yeah. so keep punching you in the face <laughs> and we'll see who can last the longest. Um, yep. that's, that's a really, a really powerful statement. Rod, um, man, huge, huge, huge thanks for coming on the show and, and filling us in on these details and hopefully that's got uh everybody up to speed here at the end of the year uh what's going on and inspire folks to to do a bit do your small part 
Mike Rod talked about. Get a membership. Um, you know, all of the local um, or provincial, you know, um, wildlife federations, BC Wildlife Federation, Saskatchewan Wildlife Federation, Ontario Federation of Anglers and Hunters, they're all got portfolios on the firearm stuff as well on behalf of their membership. And uh, OFAH is 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 a really good leader in this country for one information. And if you're a hunter and you live in Ontario and, you know, if you join them, they're going to be fighting and you, you know, you work with uh, some of those, those folks like Matt and, and whatnot on some of these, um, these files. So yeah, like, like Rod said at the beginning, there's a lot of different, you know, um, groups that you can support, but they're all there on, on, Parliament Hill, basically wearing suits, doing the doing the same thing, um, fighting, fighting, punching in the face. <laughs> so, um, yeah, thanks, thanks for that. Uh, appreciate everything. Appreciate the updates. Uh, maybe we'll have to touch base again in 2024 and see see where we're at and and get people fired up for for the fall election. Curtis, absolutely. Why well, the opportunity? No, appreciate it. Uh, Curtis, take it away. Right on. The Hunter Conservationist Podcast is brought to you by J. Martin Taxidermy out of Kelowna, BC. If you haven't already, been plugging him for a while now. It's been, I think he started September 1st was was his first, first, uh, episode, first episode he was title sponsor. Yeah, yeah. So if you haven't checked him out, he's on Instagram, J. Martin Taxidermy. Uh, you can check out his website, jmartintaxidermy.com. He's on Facebook, J. Martin Taxidermy. Lots of cool stuff on there. Like, this guy is really, really talented. So if you're thinking of getting something done, I know hunting season, when this is coming out, will be the general rifle season in British Columbia will be closed. Uh, there'll be a bit of an archery season we have here. I know there's lots of waterfowl. Uh, the last episode we did with pit river waterfowlers or pit, pit waterfowlers, they said they have a waterfowl season all the way into January. So there's still a bit of hunting season left, but for the most part, it's over. And if you got something cool that you want to have preserved for ever and ever, something you can pass down. Oh, that's grandpa's old buck or something like that. Check them out. J Martin taxidermy. We are very appreciative of the support that he is giving to us here. You bet hundred percent. So folks, um, Go on every single platform that you can find. Find the Canadian Coalition for Firearms Rights, uh, YouTube, get a Wild TV Plus app subscription, uh, Twitter or X it's called now, um, Instagram. Find them everywhere on every single one of those platforms and follow them. You're going to be on the pulse of the gun control debate every single day and you're going to educate yourself on something every single day when when you uh follow rod and tracy on on twitter slash x as well um and thanks thanks for doing that thanks for working so so hard rod giltaka appreciate you being on the show thanks guys all right folks we'll see you in the next episode
life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.